As the psalmist said, I was glad when they said, let us come into the house of the Lord. And I think the house of the Lord should be accompanied with gladness. Because what we do here is a temporary reflection of an eternal reality. So if we're going to be eternally joyful, then here we should be joyful while we're temporarily here on earth. Amen? I'm so excited to uh, uh, be a part of a, a joyful church and a, uh, a happy church where people feel the excitement and the love of God in all that we say and do. You know, last night was the wild game dinner, and uh, I, was, I was so excited because the previous year um, I had gotten activated to military duty. And I, I, I was able to come set up for the wild game dinner. But then I was in uniform. I had to leave. I didn't get any squirrel. I didn't get any rabbit. I didn't get any deer. Didn't get any elk. So I was here last night. I said, I'm going to eat to my heart's content. So the main thing I went for, I went for the bear meat, which was my personal favorite. Uh, uh, the fried crappy was awesome. And then they had the venison chili and so much so forth. But, but there was one thing that I, I've never tried, and I think it falls into the realm of wild game. And it was a <laughs> chicken liver wrapped in bacon. Amen? Now, Brother Steve and, and his wife Scarlett tells me that this is a West Virginia delicacy. <laughs> Praise God I grew up in North Carolina. Amen? <laughs> So I was, you know, I'll try anything twice. So uh, I was excited to get a bacon-wrapped chicken liver. And uh, I wasn't sure how it was going to be. So I started off with that first. Now, I love bacon. Matter of fact, I love bacon so much, the kitchen crew left me literally a bag of bacon after the wild game dinner. So I was enjoying it. And you get into the bacon, and it's pretty good. And then you get to the chicken liver. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I about threw up, Okay. It's no offense to Scarlet or West Virginia or Steve. I tried it, but see, I got the worst part out of the way first, and then I could go to the rest of the good stuff, amen? The bear, the venison chili, and that's kind of like the sermon this morning. We're going to get the tough stuff out of the way first, and let me tell you, it's just going to keep getting better and better, just like it was last night, and I ended with some strawberry, I'm sorry, some banana pudding cake. Oh, my goodness. And I thought it couldn't get better. And then we came in here and had worship and got preached to. It was, it was amazing. Uh, so let's dive right in. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. I'm about as excited as I was last night. I know this is going to be hard to believe, but the two speakers that we had last night, in my opinion, they were better than the dinner. Because the dinner filled my belly. But the speakers filled my heart. And we were encouraged and enriched and the gospel was preached and proclaimed. And I was so proud, so happy to see so many church members involved and so many men from the community who heard the gospel. There were people literally that drove all the way from Salisbury because they found out about the wild game dinner on the internet. I have no idea how that happened. We had about 12 people that came from South Carolina just to come to the wild game dinner. We even had a North Carolina House of Representatives in attendance for the wild game dinner last night. I mean, it, it was really huge. And it was a blessing. So let's, let's go to Luke chapter 2. For a few weeks, we've been talking about Simeon 
And I, I believe this the last Sunday we'll talk about them unless the Lord keeps me there. But it's just so good. So I'm going to start Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and uh, we're going to go through 32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So when he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up the child in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. May God bless his word and his house today. The point I want to focus on today in the text is Simeon's prayer of praise. I want to focus on three elements in Simeon's prayer of praise. And the first element that I want to touch on this morning in his prayer to God is the element of his connection to the Father. Now, we're in the Gospel of Luke, which is the third gospel, and it is the longest gospel by length. One of the most interesting details we find from the get-go in Simeon's prayer is the word in which he addresses God. Now, for most of you, your Bible probably says, Lord. But how many of you have today an NIV or an NLT? Any NIV, 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 NLT. Dad, you got the NLT, correct? In the NIV or NLT, it will say Sovereign Lord. And there are some other translations which use the term Master. Now this seems like a very small nitpicky detail, but I want to break something down to you today. The word which Simeon uses in the Greek to address God is not found in any other gospel. Matter of fact, it's only found a total of ten times in the New Testament. Apostle Paul never even uses this word to address God. The typical Greek word for Lord is Kyrie. But the word that Simeon uses here is despotes. This means master. This seems like a small point, but in the context, we're going to break it down. He's not just saying Lord. He's saying master. He's saying owner. He's saying the sovereign director of my life. Now, this is so interesting to me that in the whole New Testament, this little character Simeon is the only one who addresses God as master with this word and this title. Now, as I said, if you have the NIV, the NLT, or, or possibly the Holman, you see this difference uh, as it says sovereign Lord because it's a different Greek word than Kyrie, which is translated Lord. Seems like I've beaten a dead horse, but let's make some sense of it. There are 722 references in the New Testament to the word Lord, which means Kyrie. But that's not what Simeon, the ancient and wise sage, chooses to address God. And I don't think Simeon was an overly religious character. I think he was a relational character. I think he was attached to God not by the rule, but by the heart. 
And so he addressed God in an intimate way which no one else addressed God by. Um, I have a prayer journal which I keep. And one of the things I enjoy doing is every day I write in that prayer journal, I use a different address to God. Sometimes God in my life has been known as healer. He brought me through stomach tumors. Sometimes God in my life has been known as provider. Sometimes he's my savior. Sometimes he's just my Lord. But there's always an intimacy to the way you talk to somebody. Sometimes Robert will call me bud or will call me friend or will call me brother or he calls me other slang terms. But it's always a a direction of a intimate connection that we use that in our prayers and that's what Simeon does and as I mentioned in all four gospels no one else but Simeon uses this word master in reference to God the other references are in references to owning slaves when Paul talks about slaves obey your masters Paul says despotes master You see, that's the connection Simeon was using with God. Why is this so important? Well, in Bible study, there's something called the principle of first mention, which means the first time you come across a term, the context that that term is used in will be maintained throughout the rest of Scripture. So since this is the first time in the New Testament where that connotation occurs with despotes, master or sovereign Lord, that's what we need to know about its foundation. Let's talk about the context of Simeon and this word master. The context of him using this word master is that Simeon is a man who has been waiting his whole life since the promise from the Holy Spirit to be filled. We don't know how long it was that the Holy Spirit gave him a promise, you will see Christ. But we do know ever since then, his life was about waiting for a promise to be filled. That the promise from his master defined the destiny of his life. Secondly, the context for this word master is that every day, Simeon wakes up wondering if today is the day that his life will be made full, complete, allowing him to rest. So if I came up to you and I said, um, let's see, who's a really, really important, famous person? Let's say, um, I don't know, Billy Graham, I'm just going to go with Billy Graham, safe option. So let's say, Robert, I said, Billy Graham's going to come to your house. Now, Robert wouldn't know if that's Tuesday. Robert wouldn't know if that's Wednesday. Robert wouldn't know if that's Thursday. Every day, he's going to be waking up with the reality that today, my destiny could be fulfilled. His his days were determined by his destiny. That's what he was looking forward to. This is what brought him excitement in life. You know, when I used to not get out of bed in the morning, my parents would come wake me up by saying, Santa Claus here. <laughs> you know, when I was five and six years old, I liked to sleep in a little bit. They would say, Santa's here, it's Christmas, I pop right out of bed. You know, I was waiting for that excitement, even though it was in the middle of July. You see, <laughs> the context is that his job in life is not complete until this one task is finished. He had one task to be fulfilled, and that is to meet Christ. And his life would not be done until he meets his Savior. Think about this also. Simeon knows he cannot die 
until he meets Jesus. It's like, what you going to do today? I'm going to go skydiving or bungee jumping, whatever I want. I'm not going to die because I will meet Jesus. Now, Simeon didn't skydive or bungee jump. It's an illustration. I think we can deduce that Simeon was advanced in years because normally only someone who thinks about their death is someone who's near the age of death. But for however long this promise was on his heart in his life, each day was a day free from the fear of death. Because listen, I haven't seen Jesus yet, so I know today's not my last day. He can live every day. See, me and you, I mean, we might go home and, man, semi-truck comes out of nowhere, go home to be with the Lord. Simeon, he he was free from that worry. God's going to sustain me until I see Christ. So guess what else his life was dependent on? He knew God would sustain him. He knew God would preserve him because the Holy Spirit had made a promise. This is why he said, Master, Sovereign Lord, that which you have promised has been fulfilled. You have sustained me to the point that your word was complete and I have seen Christ. Simeon knew that this sovereign God, this holy master, had ordained his whole life around one purpose, and that was to meet Jesus. His whole life had one essence. We don't know what he did. We don't know how much was in his 401K. We don't know how big his house was. But we know he met Jesus. That's all Gospel of Luke wants us to know about Simeon. He met the Lord. The traditional word Lord implies rulership. But the word he uses, master, implies ownership. The traditional word, Lord, implies obedience. But the word master implies submission. Traditionally, a Lord does not own you. Now, we don't understand what the Lord means today. Back 400 years ago in England, there was not like necessarily just a governor and a mayor, but there was also a Lord. So in Midland, we have a mayor of Midland, but we may have a a Lord in Midland. And that Lord was responsible for telling me what to do. I had to work this property. I had to work these sheep. I had to work these cattle. The Lord was the person who told you what to do. But they didn't own you. You see the difference? John MacArthur is an advocate of lordship salvation. And I agree with him that if Christ is our Savior, then we obey him. But I think Simeon is the advocate of ownership salvation that we don't just follow Christ we belong to him he owns us he has purchased us I do agree with John MacArthur I'm not disagreeing with him Apostle Paul used this word master in his letters but never in reference to God he uses it in reference to those who owned slaves Now, even the Apostle Paul was familiar with the uh, um, role of, of being a slave in Christ because he refers to himself in his letters as one who was purchased and owned by God. But even him never used the word despotes the way Simeon does here. Simeon's use of the word master indicates that he knew that God is the supreme sovereign ruler who had orchestrated his entire life for the purpose of Jesus and who ordained the events in his life for the purpose of the knowledge of God. Let me say that again because that was a lot. Simeon realized that his whole life had the purpose of being knowledgeable about Christ. That his destiny, his fulfillment 
was about a revelation of Jesus. See, Simeon is a picture of you and me because you and me have no higher destiny than encountering Christ. Everything else we do in life will flow from a Christ encounter. That is the first and extreme priority in our life. And because of the Holy Spirit, Simeon is content with that scenario. We looked at the element in his prayer of connection, the way he connected to the Father. But secondly, I want to look at the element of his content of the prayer. When we look at Simeon's prayer, we see he says, Lord, you can now let your servant depart in peace. My job is done. I have been fulfilled according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The essence of Simeon's content is this. I have now experienced everything I need to experience in life. And I can die with peace. Let me tell you a true story. This week, uh, Debbie Carter texted me a gentleman's name who had contracted the flu. And the flu was causing swelling on his brain. As a matter of fact, we put him on the prayer list for next week. This gentleman passed away yesterday. This gentleman died because he contracted the flu. Now, this is serious, folks. Let me tell you something. If we have the peace of Simeon, then we can go at any time. No matter what we contract. No matter if we're 45 or 85, we can depart in peace. With that knowledge, with that contentment. And sometimes we get so sad because it's time to go home. <laughs> Man, imagine I was over in Afghanistan and I'm telling my buddies that my tour is coming to an end. It's time for me to go home. They say, Where are you going? I'm going home. Oh, I'm sorry. No. They're like, Man, I wish I were you. That's how we should be. When we meet someone that's on their deathbed, cancer's taking a hold. Praise God, I wish I was there because you're going home. You're going to be with Jesus. That's the attitude we need to change in our mind. I can live every day with the knowledge that come freight train or fire, I can ready to go to God. Simeon's encounter with Christ was the pinnacle of his existence. It was the epitome of his spirituality and the highlight of his walk with God. His entire life had been fulfilled in this meeting and encounter with Christ. He encountered the Son of God and beheld the glory of God in flesh who would die for the sins of the world. He held him in his arms and said, my eyes have seen God's salvation. Basically what Simeon is saying is, now that I have an awareness of Christ, I've experienced Christ, I don't need anything else. Simeon was satisfied with the Savior. Simeon was satisfied with Jesus alone. On that day, his bucket list became complete. Do you understand this term, bucket list? A bucket list is something people put things that they want to accomplish before they die. They want to go see this country or climb this mountain or achieve this level. Praise God, Simeon's bucket list was checked off once he met Jesus. And he said, I can depart in peace and be with God. That's the only thing that mattered to him was the fulfillment of salvation. He didn't need hierarchy of human achievement. He didn't need status of social success. And he didn't need possession of personal power. He had everything in Christ. And no longer did he need to strive for some sort of spiritual achievement because he met the one who would strive for him. 
I think Simeon can teach us something, and that is in order to proceed from a place of peace, we need to find a heart of satisfaction. We need to find a heart that is satisfied in Christ alone. Once you and I are satisfied in Christ alone, then every circumstance in our life can be encountered with peace. Just like Simeon, once he encountered Christ, he found a place of contentment. My question is, do we have that spiritual contentment this morning? Spiritual satisfaction is not found in your ability to achieve peace with God, but your ability to receive peace from God. That's spiritual satisfaction. Notice that Simeon did not say in his prayer, he did not say, I have attained salvation. He did not say, I have reached salvation. He says, I've seen salvation. Because Jesus was salvation. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. He didn't say, now I've completed the law. I've done everything God said to do. No, he says, I've seen the one who will do it for me. That's some good stuff this morning. I need a little water break. Fellowship with your neighbor. I don't even have my water. Tell your neighbor it's good to see him in God's house this morning. You see, he had observed salvation. Because the fullness of salvation, the fullness of God's peace with mankind dwelt in the life and the person of Jesus. Peace with God was in his arms. He was holding a peace of God that would make peace with God. Even further than that, it wasn't just a peace of God. Simeon was holding the full expression of God. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. And I hate to disagree with T.D. Jakes. Jesus wasn't a manifestation of God's presence. He was the fullness of God's presence. What am I saying today? That spiritual satisfaction does not come from our efforts, but from Christ. Simeon's level of peace came from nothing other than he had met Christ. He had seen salvation. And that salvation which his eyes beheld implies that Christ is the rescuer. Christ is the redeemer. And Christ is the reconciler. Just as 2 Corinthians 5.19 says. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting God's people's sins against them. Christ was the reconciler. There are two ways to view your Christianity this morning. The first way is that you are continuing to try to attain a peace with God. You can view your Christianity as trying to attain peace with God, or you can view it that you have peace with God. Most people, let me say, most Christians are still trying to find peace with God. How small-minded do we have to be to think that you and I can attain peace with God? Let me tell you who attained peace with God. It was his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. He attained your peace with God. So therefore, your peace with God can only be found through Jesus and through the finished work. It's called the finished work because you can't add to it or detract from it. You can simply enjoy it. Some of us think we can attain peace with God. Let me help you out. You can't. 
It was found in Christ. Christ reconciled the world to himself, fixing the problem of your sin, nailing your sin to a tree so we can have peace with God. What we need this morning is a change of our language, a change of our vernacular. You see, I used to think that in my spirituality, I had to seek God. Let me tell you, I was small-minded and wrapped up in legalism. I was wrapped up in the law. And I believed that my spiritual peace depended on something that I could work up or bring about. That the more I got fired up, the more I could find the peace. So I would try, I would try, God, I'm going I'm to seek you, God. I'm going to find you. Like God's playing hide and go seek with me. And let me tell you why we think these things. Because there's been a lot of bad preaching that has taken the text out of context to pull you from a place of grace into the law. For example, you have probably heard preach Jeremiah 29 13. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We've heard fiery preachers pray that. You will seek God when you seek him with all your heart. This is a good scripture, and it can be preached in the context. And the context is that this is a specific prophecy to the nation of Israel who are struggling with the Babylonians. This prophecy is referring to Israel and their struggle with the Babylonians. So, (laughs) let me ask you, is anyone here struggling with the Babylonians? Is anyone here in captivity Uh, Under rulership of Babylon? No. Secondly, Jeremiah was talking to Israel who was not under the covenant of grace. They were under the covenant of the law. Is anyone here under the covenant of works? I didn't think so. So Jeremiah 29, 13 cannot be preached in context to us that we have to find God. This was preached to Israel. This is what Jeremiah preached to Israel. This was his sermon that morning for Israel. And it has a context for Israel. So what happens is when we think, I need to go seek God, we think God is out there, maybe awaiting to be found. Maybe God's behind a tree. And if I look long enough, I'm going to find him. Maybe he's in the Gospel of Luke. Maybe he's in Psalms. And I'm going to put on my detective hat and I'm going to search for God until I find a new revelation. My friend, there's no new revelation other than what Simeon saw. God in the flesh reconciling the world to himself. We're not going to find anything new. We're not going to find God behind a tree. We find him on a tree. That's a good word right there. You see, you were not under works like Israel was in the captivity of Babylon. You were under grace, and that means your spiritual satisfaction is found in Christ alone. That we can't attain a step to reach spiritual satisfaction, but we see through the revelation of Christ that spiritual satisfaction has been attained because we have been reconciled to God. You see, if I have a disagreement with my brother, then I have to go reconcile myself to him to make peace. This is not what happens with God. Jesus made peace, and you don't have to reconcile yourself. You cannot make yourself right because Jesus already had. Faith is believing what Jesus did. Faith is not making a new reality. 
<laughs> Faith is believing Christ reconciled us to himself. This is why we find in the New Testament, Romans 3.11, and it tells us under grace, there is no one who seeks God. And those who are going to preach works under Jeremiah won't preach the new covenant under Romans. They're going to be stuck in the old covenant which says you got to do something to get right with God. you got to do something. You see, Romans 3.11 says there's no one who seeks God. But praise God, he already sought me. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Why do I need to seek the one who owns me? Ask yourself that this morning. Why do I need to go out and find my master who's already bought me? He found me, praise the Lord. He sought me. There are two ways we can approach our devotional time with God. For example, you can wake up every day and you read your Bible to find peace with God. Or you can read your Bible because you have peace with God. And I'm going to tell you, if you try option one, if you try to spend time with God to get peace, you will never find it. Because there's nothing you're going to find that Jesus didn't already do. If we don't yet have a revelation of Christ as our Lord and Savior who reconciled us to himself, we will not get peace by doing something else. We will get peace once we understand what Christ has already did. And now that I have peace with God, I spend time with him because I love him. I want to learn all about him. I don't spend time with my wife to get married. I spend time with my wife because I am married. Because I know what's good for me. Because I like dinner. (laughs) I like to eat. Sleep in the bed, not on the couch. (laughs) Jesus has already found your peace with God. Because your sin nature, your faults and mistakes and sinfulness were placed on the body of Christ when he died. You see, your sins have already been dealt with. We don't have to deal with our sins. (laughs) Christ dealt with them. He fixed them. I used to think when I was struggling with the sin that I had to somehow fix it. And one day I had this realization. It was like this shock of lightning. Jesus already fixed it. I need to proclaim what Jesus already did. Once I started proclaiming what Jesus had accomplished, then I experienced freedom. This is what happens when you're wrapped up in the law, just like that chicken liver wrapped up in bacon. You don't know nothing else. I was wrapped up all in it. I couldn't see grace. I couldn't see that Christ had already accomplished my security with God. And once I started proclaiming with my mouth what Christ had done with his life, then I experienced spiritual freedom. I can't fix my sin. I have no ability within me to fix my sin. Christ fixed it. And that's what I started speaking. I said, devil, I don't need to struggle with this because Christ already struggled with it. He nailed it to a tree. It's dead and gone. The old nature is gone. I don't have to kill the old nature. The old nature is dead. Peace is already yours. Peace is already there. Just like Simeon, I can depart in peace because I've seen salvation. If I went today and deposited $1 million in your bank account, The only thing you'd have to do is spend it. You wouldn't have to get no more of it. 
You wouldn't have to go drum up some more millions tomorrow to put it back in your bank account. Well, praise God, I'm going to have a million and fifty. All you got to do is spend it. That's how people view their spirituality. Christ has accomplished the work for you. The bank account is full of peace. Now enjoy it. We don't have to put more in the bank account. We simply let the bank account flow through our life and touch everyone around us. The work has already been done. Let's get back to option one. What happens if I spend time with God to get peace, but I wake up late tomorrow and I don't do my devotional like I should have? Guess what? The whole day I don't have peace. This is the truth. I beat myself up for years and years and years because I wasn't spending enough time with God. And I read the Bible for 15 minutes and I felt convicted I should have read it for 30 minutes. And I read it for 30 minutes and I said, well, real spiritual people will read it for an hour. And I beat myself up because I said, the more I can do, maybe I can find greater peace. And it never works. It's a vacuum of energy. You pray for five minutes and the devil's going to say, you should have prayed for 10. You're not going to have peace today. Pray for 15, devil's going to say, you're really not spiritual. Spiritual people pray for an hour. It's not going to bring peace. See, I beat myself up because I hit the snooze button. And then I felt guilty, and so I felt like I'm not reconciled with God. And then God must be angry at me now, so I'm not going to talk to him in the morning because I feel bad. We're just shadow boxing against ourselves, Beating ourselves up. <laughs> And then I realized Christ already attained peace. I can enjoy God. If I wake up late tomorrow, God's not mad at me. I have peace. I can read it at lunchtime, praise God. I can read it every day. I don't have to have a devotional time. I can be live a devotional time. Hear me out on that. I don't have to break my life up into little segments. My whole life is time with God. Now I still get up 30 minutes early. To get in the Word. Just like my coffee, it gets me going for the day. But see, here's the other thing. If I spend time in the Word, that doesn't mean I'm done for the day. Woohoo! I've got peace now. No, no, no. I can stay in it. Stay in that moment. So I've come up with a little game. Instead of Simon says, it's Simeon says. This is good. Simeon says, it's not up to you to seek God. He's already sought you. And he won. He overcame you. You lost. Realize you lost. And God is the winner. God is the owner. He's the master. He's the despotes. He directs your life now. Just say, okay, God, you're in charge. I don't have to fight. I don't have to strive. I don't have to struggle anymore. You're running my life. You're the pilot. I'm going to take a back seat and say, praise God. What your will is, be done. You don't have to fight for God. He's already won. You don't have to chase God because you've already been found. Satisfaction in Christ is available right now through Jesus. You are already reconciled to God. And once you get that peace that comes through reconciliation, then your whole life will now be about enjoying peace, not attaining peace. It is a completely different mindset. You can't find another baptism. You won't hit another level. You can't be more righteous. You won't be more holy than Jesus has already made you. You can't have a better chance of getting into heaven because the chance of getting into heaven is based on the finished work of Christ. You don't have to kill the sin nature. Jesus already killed it. That's what Simeon says. Peace with God comes through Jesus Christ. 
We've looked at Simeon's connection to the Father. We've looked at his content. And lastly, I want to look at his conclusion. He says, oh, my Bible's flipped open. He says in verse 31, I'm sorry, 30, you've, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. <clears throat> Once we have seen Christ, we've seen his work on the cross, that we are reconciled to God through Jesus, that will indeed be a light of revelation for us. It will be a light of revelation that you and I can no longer work into peace with God. Peace of God is already attained and now we can enjoy peace with God. And you see, <laughs> there is a promise made through the prophet Jeremiah <clears throat> that does apply to you and I. And it's based on what Simeon saw. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. he says, I will make a new covenant with my people. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Praise God, you don't have to struggle with Babylonians to be under that covenant. Because that covenant is under Christ. That our wickedness is forgiven and sins remembered no more. Peace with God has been found through the life, the ministry, and the work of Jesus. Jesus.